Welcome to the Answer Religious Era Show. My name is Brian Garlock. This is our live Bible Q&A. So if you have a Bible question, why don't you go ahead and send it in? You can email us, questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Again, that's questions at answeringreligiousera.com. We'll do our very best to get your live questions on air today. You can also private message us, facebook.com slash answeringreligiousera. And that is our Facebook page. You can send us that message there. And again, we will do our best to get your live question on air. Uh, we won't be able to do the, sh the the thing where we have people come on the show today. Colton, our producer, is out. And so he's the one who normally runs that. And so that is not going to be available today. So either email us or private message us on our Facebook page so we can have your questions. We also go live on Tuesdays. We're currently doing a series called Why I Believe. So I'd encourage you to check out all the archived videos there. You can find them on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as well as on all major podcast platforms. Then we want to talk about The Daily Answer with Mark Dunnigan. That's a show that drops every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern time. And we are quickly approaching 200 uh, lessons or 200 uh, uh, shows there on the podcast, as well as over 10,000 listens. And so we appreciate those who uh, share the podcast. Sometimes I see people sharing that on Facebook, and that uh, is real encouragement as we try to get that podcast show out. I know Mark appreciates it with all the, Mark, the work that Mark puts into it, and I know that you as a listener appreciate it because it gets your day started with The Daily Answer. So you can subscribe on podcasts, search for us, The Daily Answer, or Answering Religious Air on all major podcast platforms, and you should be able to to find us there. Gentlemen, it is good to see each and every one of you today. And uh, we've got Chris on the show today. He normally is only on our Tuesday shows, so he's filling in today. we got Brian, Nick, and Terry. And I think Mark Dunnigan may be coming on a little late, a little later uh, this morning. All right, um, gentlemen, how are y'all? Doing good. It's good to be on a Wednesday program. It's been a yeah. while. It has been. For me, anyway. And then last week, I was on your Tuesday show mm -hmm. while you babysat, apparently. I don't know what that was all about, but oh, you know what it means. <laughs> yeah, I've I seen do. your little one running around. <laughs> yeah. I know. All right. Uh, this is our live Bible QA. If you've got Bible questions, again, email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com. Private message us on our Facebook page. We are taking questions now. Let's have a word of prayer. Um, Brian Haynes, will you do that for us? You bet. Would you join me in prayer? Most Holy God and Father, we're so grateful to have a few minutes of time in the middle of our week that we can uh, spend some time considering your word, uh, doing our very best to bring forth uh, the answers that it gives us to the questions that we have in our lives. Father, we pray that we are correct in handling your word. We pray that you will let your word bless us all, bless those who hear, Father, that uh, they may continue on their lives of service to you. We thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Again, one more time. Email address is questions at answeringreligiouserror.com or you can private message us on our Facebook page. If we just see a comment out there or, or if you post on a video that's just shared, we might not see that comment. Sometimes we see comments floating around. We want to make sure we get to your question. You're going to have to email us or private message us on our Facebook page. But before we begin our first question, it is meantime. All right, today's meme that's been floating around on social media, especially gearing up for Pride Month. Uh, for those who are listening on the podcast, let me describe it is a picture of a man and a woman, uh, which is shown to be the parents of a child. They are in black and white, probably means uh, tradition here, the old ways. And the child is growing some wings. He's got the uh, transgender flag colors, as well as the LGQ, uh, LGTBQ, however you say all those letters, uh, the flag uh, colors on the other wing. And the parents have, the father here has a pair of scissors and he is cutting the wings off. And at the top, the meme says, don't be your child's first bully. In other words, uh, the meme creator here is saying that if you try to, um, uh, hinder your child from expressing themselves in however they want to express themselves, identifying however they want to identify, then what you are essentially doing is you're cutting off their that expression and you are being a bully to them. 
And so we want to expose this meme for what it is and answer it uh, today. Terry Benton, let's start with you. Okay, well, the thing that came to mind uh, with me is the the uh, drag queens and the groomers trying to get the children's mind going in a certain direction, and here's some parents stepping in, and they're kind of they're kind of stopping effort. Uh, the child is not even wander into that direction at that age, uh, unless somebody just really tries to help them along in that way. And that's what the drag queens are all about. And that's what the uh, LGBTQ movement is all about, is trying to groom little kids so that they'll become what they want them to become. And of course, uh, we can't do that. We can't just let a child uh, stay to themselves or determine their own course without proper input. And the proper input is from God. And God has some things to say about what direction we should train up a child in the way he should, he should go. And that is not in the direction of sexual immorality, perversity. I mean, can you, can you imagine just this meme now being used uh, to, uh, to, to suggest that you should allow the kids to have all the pornography exposure to pornography that they want. And they ought to be able to get together and experiment with each other, other children in the neighborhood after they viewed pornography. And, and you're not to take these scissors and clip their wings. And that's, that's a, in essence, what they're saying. And, as Paul would say, no, not for a moment. We are not going to give way to this perversity, not for one Amen. minute. We shouldn't. In fact, I think we would be, uh, we would be sending them in the direction of, uh, of all kind of self-destructive behavior and that will eventually destroy their souls. So no, a child, the proverb writer says, a child left to themselves will bring their mother to shame. Uh, their parents will be brought to shame. But more importantly, you're helping those children go to hell. Second, First Corinthians chapter five and six talk about just sitting, standing by and saying nothing as somebody goes into uh, an immoral lifestyle. And I'm seeing this, that, that this mentality has not just started growing and developing out there in the world, it's developing in the church. I've, I've just heard recently where some parents got upset because uh, the church said something about their child becoming pregnant. And, uh, and it's like the bad guys are the church for saying something rather than the parents doing their job and saying, no, this is wrong and you don't need to be going in that direction. And you're not going to go with our blessings. You're going, if you go, you know that we do not approve of that. And, and that will be really, really clear to you because we stand with God. We stand on his word. And so uh, this meme just to me is just one of those uh, annoying things that says, uh, let everybody do what is right in their own eyes. Uh, before they uh, have any development of their senses, their moral senses, right. we even give them input that suggests that there is right and wrong. It's kind of like Satan in the garden. Uh, did God say that? No, that, that's not going to happen. And it's like we can override whatever God has said and whatever the moral input should be uh, from our creator. Uh, I think this is disgusting. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Amen. Brother, that was excellent observations there. Uh, Brian Haynes, what you got? You know, the word bully uh, gets thrown around a lot in society today. It's one of those words that's not defined. Uh, you got to watch out for words like this, by the way. It's a word that's not defined. It's a word that has a lot of uh, uh, power behind it because everybody's scared uh, to be labeled as such or something like that. But when you start thinking about it, uh, the, the idea of what it is a bully, somebody who is, uh, you know, is, is trying to, to compel you to do something, um, any, any use of, uh, of an authority to try to change somebody's behavior then becomes a bully. A police officer pulls somebody over for speeding. Well, he's a bully. You know, a teacher tells the class to be quiet. Well, she's a bully. 
Uh, if parents try to shape their child, they're a bully. Right now, of course, like I said, our society is trying to say that this behavior is acceptable. What if this was drugs? What if what if this was a child smoking a crack pipe, you know, and there are the parents trying to take it out of his hands, you know, don't be your child's first bully. It's such a nonsensical term. And, and, and by the way, Christians even come into this sometimes where we use terms that have no real definition. Um, you know, uh, legalist is one of those words that I think gets thrown around a lot, undefined, mm-hmm. but it has a it has a power to it. and Everybody avoids it. Uh, this is nonsense. You know, the idea, first of all, that parents don't have the authority or uh, that parents are somehow bullying a child by trying to form or shape them. That's outrageous. If you take away restriction, what do you have here in Oregon? They uh, particularly here in Portland, they recently or in the last couple of years, they uh, de- they legalized certain types of hard drugs. Um, you know, you could make the same case that, so that we don't bully those using them. What, what, what happened? Everybody knows what happened. You don't even you didn't even need to see the statistics go what happened. Homelessness exploded. Uh, you know, uh, overdose deaths went through the roof. Crime has jumped dramatically. That's what happens whenever you tell parents you don't have a place to shape your children, that uh, you don't have a way to control your children. Um, you know, it's we shouldn't be fooled that this lifestyle is peaceful and acceptable. Um, this lifestyle, first and foremost, is contrary to the will of God. It will cost you your soul. But it's also a very, uh, it's a very sad lifestyle. I mean, uh, you know, for, for people uh, caught up in this lifestyle, your suicide rates are higher, your rates of depression are higher. Uh, there's just so, so many negative aspects to this uh, that any parent who isn't trying to shape their child away from these things ought to be considered somebody who's abusing their child. So it ought to be the opposite in some ways. Great, great comment. There's a complete lack of respect. And I've said this many times on the program that you can't disrespect the authority in your life and then walk into a church building and talk about how much you love God. Uh, This is not an acceptance of God's will. Uh, Man is looking for acceptance for himself. And uh, what the devil is doing now is he, well, he learned. uh, Start with the young. And that's why so many of our children are being indoctrinated with society And under the guise of love and rainbows and many of the, I guess, symbolism, you might say, uh, that originated from God. And just to confirm or reconfirm some things the brethren have already pointed out, um, uh, just to, you know, quote those passages, Proverbs uh, chapter mm, three, verses 11 through 12 says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction for whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as the father, the son, in whom he delights. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And of course, Proverbs 23, Terry mentioned earlier, uh, 13 and 14 says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. These are the things that people just hate. And I'm sorry, Terry, you didn't, you didn't quote that particular verse. I was looking for the other one uh, that talks about um, uh, oh, yes. Proverbs 9, 29, verse 15. This is the one that you had referred to. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And the same is in Proverbs 19, 26 through 27 about mistreating father and mother and uh, causing shame, bringing reproach. Verse 27 says, cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. And I'll conclude the passages just by reading Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, of the importance of instruction in the wisdom of the Lord. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. And in those passages, the scripture goes on to say, when your child comes to you and asks, why do we do these things? And you give them a godly answer for those things, because this is what God has done for us. This is what God is going to do for us. And this mean that, you know, it's in in their eyes representing something beautiful and free is going to condemn a, a, a child's soul to eternal condemnation. And that's the worst thing you could possibly do for your child. Bring them to the Lord. All right. 
Appreciate that, guys. And uh, if you have any memes like that floating around on social media that you would like for us to answer, uh, you can email us questions at answeringreligiousair.com or private message us on our Facebook page. Um, I do appreciate those comments. Uh, I think that was uh, excellent stuff, and I know the audience will benefit from that. All right, first question for today. What does the peace of God mean in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 and 7? Um, Chris Kramer, you want to? start us off um no i don't <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of producing in the background so my mind strayed a little bit while i'm pressing some buttons and i'm trying to bring i'll come, come back to me in just a second <laughs> while i finish up another thing all right uh brian haynes what you got philippians 6 and 7 says uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Um, there's a couple of different ways that the peace of God is spoken of in the Bible. Uh, for example, in Romans chapter 5, the peace of God is identified as the relationship that we have with God because of Jesus Christ, um, that he puts to death the enmity between God and man. Uh, there's also the peace of God that's mentioned in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, where it talks about the separation between the Jew and the Gentile brings about a reconciliation. Uh, my thought here is that this is actually something different. This is a peace that surpasses understanding, he describes it in verse 7. I tend to just take this passage at its face value, that it's actually a type of peace that's uniquely discussed in the scripture, a type of peace uh, that, that, that actually comes upon a person, upon their heart and mind, uh, that whenever they are committed to God, and there's a couple of qualifications for this piece that you have to you have to commit your cares to God. That's be anxious for nothing, and then go to God in prayer. Uh, you know, prayer uh, with supplication, with thanksgiving. Um, you know, to present these things to God, and that there's a unique confidence that we as believers can have in God, and that unique confidence can bring about a unique kind of peace. Um, so I just believe that what he's saying here is that when we are committed to God in this way, there's a unique. Uh, peaceful calm that comes to us. Um, I oftentimes pray about this very passage and I pray, you know, to have this kind of peace that the things that I'm anxious about might be put aside. And this seems to be the kind of thing where the world runs around panicking about, you know, all the different things that are going on. And sometimes we do too. Sometimes the circumstances of the world get us in a panic, you know, and yet here is God saying, wait a second, let me give you this gift. Uh, this gift is called peace, the peace that surpasses understanding. And if you'll commit yourself to prayer, I'll let you have it and it will protect you. So as I said, kind of just take it at its face value. But I saw, I know there's some other comments here uh, that are also uh, have some good thoughts on this. All right. Thank you, Terry. I think of Jesus on the waters with the disciples and there's the storm raging and the waters coming into the boat and they're just uh, the disciples are just beside themselves thinking that they're going to die. And here comes Jesus walking on the water and he uh, settles them down and he settles the storm down. And when I think of peace, when he says, peace, be still, I think of something that, that has a settling effect that our, our nerves are, are on edge. We are disturbed within. We've got all kinds of, uh, of worries and fears just raging within. And then we, uh, we remember these words that came from the creator, the one that spoke to the winds and the waves. And he said, peace be still. There's something settling about that, that helps calm the nerves and relax the mind because he's the one that said, it'll work out all right. And he's the one that said, I'm with you always, even until the end of the earth. He's the one that has the words of eternal life. He's the one that's in control of our destiny. And he can manage us through this particular internal storm that we're experiencing at the moment. So whatever storms that come and rage in our lives, and here it seems at Philippi, it was that they were worried. Number one, uh, persecution is on the rise. Second of all, they've taken Paul. He's in Rome now. Uh, and Paul writes back and says, hey, this is going to work out fine. This is going to work out fine for me. And it's going to work out fine for you. So don't be anxious for anything. 
but in everything, just take it to God in prayer with, and that in itself has a settling effect uh, upon your heart. So that's the peace that, that is related to your confidence, the measure of your faith in God and the power of uh, his goodwill to manage you through the storm. Those are things that have a settling effect to your soul. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. And it can guard your hearts and minds through that storm. So uh, I think uh, I think that's what Brian was talking about. And that's that's what uh, I, I envision every time I think about that word peace. It just takes me back to the storms on the sea and Jesus settling that all down. And he can do it in us as well. Yeah. Great comments there. Nick, did you want to add anything? Yeah, a couple of things come to mind with this passage. Uh, someone had actually asked me this question. Uh, about a couple of weeks ago. And, and so it is a very good question to try to wrap our minds around. And when we look there at the front of that verse there, where it says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplications, I'm reminded of the parable of the unjust ruler there in Luke chapter 18 and how this widow had come to him uh, asking him for justice. And he finally said, fine, because you are just annoying me, I'm going to give in and give you your request. And so Jesus makes the application here uh, in regards to people to not lose heart, to continue to pray and to give commentary on it. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cried to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? And so the idea is if, if this unjust judge was willing to finally give in to the petitions of this widow, how much more so will God want to give justice to those who belong to him again you can look at in matthew chapter 7 where he says uh, us fathers we you know even though we are evil know how to give good gifts to our sons how much more so will the good god of all creation want to give good gifts to his children and so there's this interesting uh foundation that's already been given to us that if we ask god in faith and in confidence he is going to be eager and willing to, to give to us if they are according to his will. And so that, that should be a confidence to us. Uh, we, we should be building up this, this confidence in his willingness to be faithful to us. And that's going to give us that peace. But interestingly, he also includes in verse 6, with thanksgiving. Now, this was an interesting part that I was trying to bring out to the fellow who asked me that question the other day. And I said, what are we doing when we give thanksgivings in our prayers? We are thanking God for giving us those good gifts already, things that he's already given to us. And so though we are glorifying God with that, with that thanksgiving, it's also a reminder that in the past, when we made our supplications and petitions to him in the past, he was faithful to those. And, and so it's a fortifying of our faith. So when we make these new supplications, these new prayers, these we're petitioning him for these new things, we're at the same time going to remind ourselves that he was faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful again this time. And so then, of course, we will have that confidence that we will have that peace of God that passes, that surpasses all understanding and will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And this is a, another point that I wanted to bring out in this text is that. Look how many times Paul, throughout the entirety of the book of Philippians, says rejoice or have joy. And this is, this is an interesting contrast to what people will experience with happiness or joy. Uh, because happiness is dependent upon what happens to them. But yet a Christian can be joyful uh, in spite of all the difficulties that will come to pass. And so look at what Paul will say just a little bit later. He says in verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As we grow our faith in God, our 
priorities and perspectives begin to change. And so in the beginning, we may be asking uh, these oddball things and requests, but as we mature in our faith, we realize what is actually more important for us to be praying for. We, we begin to establish a stronger foundation of, of conviction saying, hey, this is what's going to be required of me. And, and we begin to embrace our faith like never before. And so maturing of the faith is going to certainly help us learn how to process uh, that confidence and have that peace more so than someone at the very beginning, because they're still trying to figure out what does it mean to trust in God? And as we mature in our faith, even though we may be having, may have abundance or we may have need, it doesn't matter. We can learn how to be content uh, in whatever state that we find ourselves in. And, and if I know I can, uh, even at the point of death, I know that my God is going to raise me from the dead. What can then attack me to cause me to be shaken and not have peace? And so whatever state I find myself in, I know I can trust in God. And even if it's to the point of death, I know I, I know I will be resurrected from the dead. And so the maturing of our faith is a critical element to this peace that will pass all, that surpass all understanding. Hey, amen to that. I, I know I don't normally uh, answer. I let the panel do that. But I did come across uh, some things the other, the other day when I was doing some reading in Philippians you know, Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven, he talks about do not be anxious for about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, back in chapter two, I think he kind of gives us a little bit of illustration of him of himself as he's dealing with some of these issues. He says in Philippians chapter two, verse twenty five, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So he talks about this sorrow, and then he goes on to say, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." Uh, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. I, I like how he uses some of that similar language that we see in Philippians chapter four, where he's talking about praying to the to the, to the father. So you, you will not have that uh, anxiousness. And Paul certainly felt that here in chapter two, as he's describing this uh, this event with Epaphroditus. And surely Paul was praying to God about this and God showed mercy on Epaphroditus by saving him from his illness, whatever that illness was. And for Paul, that took away sorrow, that took away the, uh, the anxiousness that he was feeling and he was able to, to rejoice in those things. So I just think that's a little neat illustration there to, to kind of maybe on your own time, um, go and look at some uh, parallel isms there between chapter two and chapter four in having that mind of Christ and finding um, that protection or that, uh, that peace that comes uh, with uh, those things being uh, healed by God. Okay. Next question moving on that we have here today. Does, what does it mean to walk in the spirit? What does it mean to walk in the spirit? And I would assume the questioner is going to passages like Galatians five, Romans eight. Uh, what do y'all have to say? Well, the thing that comes to mind here is walk is a progression towards something. And so what are you walking toward and what uh, what do you walk uh, to assist you in that direction? And so you're either going to walk in the spirit that is in association with the spirit of God. And he's he's given his revelation uh, through the apostles and prophets and we take the Spirit's message, the testimony of the Holy Spirit, and we direct our affairs according to the Spirit. Uh, we either do that or we throw the Spirit behind us and we walk into the flesh. That is, what it, what's going to direct us now? Well, whatever appeals to the lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's walking according to the flesh. So when you contrast walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh, 
One is with a direction that takes you where the fleshly appeals go. They take you in that direction of fleshly desires, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Those three things. That's going to wind up uh, in the wrong direction and eternally separated from God. But if you're listening to the Spirit and you're walking according to what the Spirit is telling you in His Scriptures, the Divine Scriptures, uh, then you walk in that, then you're uh, you're feeding your mind. Uh, what do I need to go? What direction do I need to go based upon the Spirit's Word? Then I'm walking in the Spirit, and I'm going in the direction that's not uh, pulling me according to the desires of the flesh and the desires of the fleshly oriented mind. So we need a, a spiritual mind. And the fleshly mind said that there's nothing spiritual attached to that. And so it's not a spiritual mindset. So what does it mean to walk in the spirit? It means to walk fully conscious and aware that I'm directing my, my affairs of life, the direction I take in life, according to the divine will expressed by the Holy Spirit. Those are my thoughts. Amen. Uh, Brian Haynes. You know, there's a parallel statements. I always love to find parallels in the Bible about walking. There is walking by faith is a term that's used in the scriptures. Second Corinthians, there's walking in the light of first John chapter one. Um, and I'm really kind of just building exactly on what Terry said. Walking seems to be another term for how you live your life. Uh, maybe you could use the word abiding. You know, that's another term we find in the scripture. And I think abide uh, describes it that way. So what do they all have in common? Faith and you know, what the light and spirit. Um, well, they're all connected to the will of God. And it's it's the idea of, of living, if walking is living, living a life that is in connection with the will of God, doing the things that the will of God say. I, I was kind of thinking if I wanted to reword this, I would say um, live a life that abides in Christ uh, and taking out a second John abiding in the doctrine of Christ. Nick? Someone uh, tried to suggest to me once that the walking in the spirit was their own intuition or their conscience guiding them. And, and of course, that couldn't be farther from the truth than what the context would bear out. Our, our consciences, uh, our intuitions can be completely uh, misguided. And we can't just trust our, our gut feelings. We can't trust our intuition. We can't trust our conscience, especially if we've been training it to embrace sin. Uh, because we can become callous. We can have our conscience seared as with a hot iron. We need to be very careful that we train ourselves uh, through the scriptures to know what the will of God is. And then and only then, maybe our conscience can be a, a, a trustworthy guide. But still, and first and foremost, we have to lean heavily on the word of God to know what is right and wrong. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs chapter 16. And, and so very important for us to remember. Yeah, good thoughts. Chris, you want to add anything? Or I think it was covered well. But... All right. Next question that we have. Um, this is a live one. What does Paul mean when he tells Timothy she will be saved through childbearing? First Timothy 2.15. Is this talking about Eve, women in general, or both? Uh, appreciate the question. I think we've answered this one probably 10 times now in our years of doing this. But I mean, it's fine that you ask that. But I'll uh, I'll see if I can uh, come up with because I do try to keep up with all the questions. Uh, so I'll also try, um, besides the answers they give here today, to come up with uh, some of the dates and maybe give you even more answers from other guys who've who've uh, done that. All right. Uh, Brian Haynes, you want to start with us? I think it's a great question. I think it's kind of a, a strange statement there. But let's kind of think first about about the context of well, the context of First Timothy is chapter 3, verse 15. It's about how a church is organized and conducts itself. Um, specifically in chapter 2, he's talking about the roles of men and women within, uh, you could say within the assembly or within the church. I think either would be a, an appropriate way of looking at that. Um, and, uh, and then he's talking about the roles that men and women have that are different. And this, this statement then within that context of women uh, find their salvation Let's parallel that statement to work out their salvation, as Paul talks about in Philippians. So let's say women work out their salvation with childbearing, and let's broaden childbearing to the roles of being a mother or a wife. And that fits nicely to what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul says that we are God's workmanship, created 
uh, for good works, works that God prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. And then in a, a chapter or two, he says, well, husbands, love your wives, wives, submit to your husbands, parents, children. One important idea to understand is that the work that we are called to do uh, as Christians, a lot of times revolves around the roles that we're in as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, um, different aspects of that. And that we are working out our salvation by appropriately walking in those roles. Um, the distinction Paul wants us to understand in First Timothy chapter two is that sometimes people want to be beyond their roles. They want something else, you know, uh, you know. <laughs> We can make a, you know, a transgender joke and say, well, you know, the man that wants to be a mother, you know, that, well, well, that's silly, of course. Um, it's not as silly now as it used to be, I guess. But, you know, the point is, though, that sometimes people reach out and grasp for roles that they're not given. And uh, that's that's an inappropriate thing in general. God creates works ahead of time that we walk in. We we fulfill those roles in our life. If it's being a husband, being a father, uh, being a mother, being a wife in the manner which God has given for us to do. So Paul is pointing out here uh, that women have a different role than men. Uh, it's different within the home, which he touches on there. Uh, it's different within the church. It's different uh, in a lot of aspects. And so these are the ways that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we're uh, look at the way that we are, the things that we're given in life, and we dedicate ourselves to fulfilling those to the best we can. Um, it's an important point because sometimes people say, oh, I want to, I want to go off and, you know, be that leader of the church or something like that and then neglect their family. Well, that person is worse than an unbeliever, the Bible says, because you're neglecting the work that God prepared for you ahead of time. Um, sometimes people aren't content with the work that God has given them. They want something else. And yet that's simply not the way that our lives are given. So uh, that's one good way to consider this passage, that he's talking about the works that uh, we fulfill in the roles that we're given uh, as men and women, parents, husbands, whatever it might be. Excellent thoughts, especially keeping it in context. Uh, Terry, you going to contradict him? Well, not much. <laughs> I think uh, I think it uh, will complement what he said quite well. I don't think that this verse is talking about salvation from sin. She will be saved from what? Well, it seems like uh, that she had that since. Eve transgressed and then has been subjected in a subjected role. Uh, it seems like she has been subjugated, but what saves her honor in all of that? And so I don't think it's saving from sin, but she will be saved from the dishonor that Eve brought into the, the, uh, the narrative here uh, that has caused the, the woman to be in the subjective role ever since uh so that now she's but her honor is really brought forth in that uh childbearing gives her a very special and unique opportunity that the man can't have a share in and he can't get that he can't take that role from her so she's saved from from that in that she is taking a role that man cannot take from her. And he uh, says, but that's qualified too, because those children can, um, he says, if they continue in faith, then that's really going to make her role so crucial and so powerful and meaningful in the world it's kind of like the hand that rocks the cradle actually is the one ruling the world. If those children continue in faith and in love and holiness with self-control and the woman gave that gave birth to those children, brought those kind of children along, uh, then she has really taken a, a very powerful and special role. And that saves her uh, in the sense of the of thinking that it was a subjective and inferior role. Now she can't, she can't speak in the church and she can't take the role of man, but she can do this. And that salvages that, that whole scene and more than compensates uh, for her in that way. And so I think that's basically the, the gist of what this verse is about. Let's just say all of the above sounds good. How's that? Nick, did you want to add anything? All right. I uh, appreciate the uh, question there, Samuel. Uh, next live question that we have here today. Uh, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says he is going to build his church. 
in chapter 17, the word tabernacle is used. Are they the same? Is church and tabernacle the same? Who wants to take a stab at that? I'll just jump in since I haven't spoken in a little while. Um, you know, the, the church and the tabernacle are, are two different things. Jesus talked about the establishment of the church, and he wasn't talking about a physical structure or the building. He was talking about, of course, being head over his body, the church, the fellowship of, uh, of Christians, which we find coming to fruition in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The term tabernacle uh, is used in Matthew 17 in regard to uh, Peter's comments on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, there he is so overwhelmed by uh, the appearance of, well, Christ is there, Moses, Elijah, and uh, identified as such. He, um, you know, he, he like in Peter fashion, kind of jumps the gun and says, well, you know, what do we do to honor this moment? What do we do to honor these men? I, I know, let's let's build three tabernacles. And, and literally they would be probably some type of uh, a booth. There was the Feast of Booths in the Old Testament, um, you know, a form of a um, sacrifice, if you will, or, or offering. Um, you know, he's, he's just really thinking, you know, shooting from the hip, you might say here, in regard to his reaction. But tabernacle was a temporary structure. Uh, even the, you know, first tabernacle as we know it that was used for the dwelling of, of God or the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, where the priests administered uh, sacrifices out in the perimeter and so on. Um, that would have been a different form of a tabernacle. And so people sometimes want to get those two confused. Um, in re reference to church buildings, per se, I believe we do have authority to you know, provide a building and a place to meet. Um, and it's used for that specific purpose. You could say it's sanctified in, in a manner of speaking, set apart for the purpose of worshiping God, uh, which is why we don't use our buildings for any other means other than worship to God. Uh, but there's nothing holy about the structure. Uh, they're not given to us to be designed in a particular way or to be a holy place. The holy place is is the hearts of, of God's people. And I think that's the biggest distinction between the church and tabernacle from those two passages. All right, Brian. Um, what's kind of interesting here, uh, I had to double check to make sure the words aren't the same in Greek and they're not. Um, there, there may be one place where the word tabernacle is a reference to the church in Acts chapter 15. Uh, they reference the prophecy to David about the rebuilding of the tabernacle uh, that uh, is a reference to the church. And that's really about it. Um, I really don't have much to add to what Chris said. I think what Chris said was perfect, um, that the tabernacle was a physical temporary thing uh, and the church is meant to, to be eternal. Um, the, it's true to say that the old tabernacle of the Old Testament was uh, was a foreshadow of the things that would come. The Hebrew writer talks about that at length and the way that the worship of the tabernacle foreshadowed the worship of Christ that's found in the church. But but there is a distinction there. And uh, Peter's words, of course, when he talks about building a tabernacle, um, he's babbling. The Bible says that he doesn't even know what he's saying. He's so uh, caught up in shock by this moment that just is unbelievable. By the way, it's kind of neat to think that Peter at the end of his life in 2 Peter chapter 1 says, hey, you know the reason I believe Jesus is the Christ? Because of what I saw on that mountain that day. And that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty impressive thing for a man who who's ready to die because of what he saw. So, uh, you know, the idea is that, that a tabernacle could not have contained the glory that he was seeing, and it was almost a joke that he thought it could. But uh, no, I think Chris answered that very well. All right. Thank you. Uh, moving on. Next question. All right. Uh, how can I tell a friend that I can't go to their church, especially if I expect them to come to mine? That's a good question. I've actually had to deal with that question a few times in my preaching career with members, mainly teenagers, asking those kind of questions. Um, Nick, let's start with you. Yeah, so trying to get someone to go to church with you is always important. Um, but maybe if there's this conflict, uh, especially with timing, because we wouldn't want you to forsake going to, to church uh, with your brethren to go to some other place. Um, you know, perhaps having that Bible study. I know someone else was making that comment earlier as we were trying to wrap our minds around these questions. And I think that's a brilliant idea. Uh, sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one study with this person. 
because going to churches can be very intimidating, especially uh, if they're different and and it's not what you're used to. But getting to uh, the meat of the issues by opening up God's word and studying is really a very powerful way to move forward. And then when the convictions start to to grow, you say, hey, uh, you know, let's let's come to church with me then. And that that could help them see the, some of that stuff in action. And so that could be a very powerful uh, tool to, to process, uh, you know, this whole dynamic that is uh, happening with this with this interesting situation. OK. Terry, anything you want to add? No, no I, not much to add to that is this. Uh, get them into the Bible study situation. Uh, because don't depend on the church to have the right class. The right sermon is going to come out then. Uh, no, that's kind of a luck of the draw if it hits the things that you wanting that neighbor to know. So the personal Bible study is the, is the way to, how about coming over and let's study the Bible together. Uh, that will get you further along than the, than the other ways. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. Amen. All right. I think it's covered well, unless Brian, you want to add him? All right. Okay. Next question. Appreciate uh, these questions. Uh, what does Luke eight eighteen mean? Um, Brian, we'll start with you. Uh, just one second. Um, I, I wasn't prepared for that. I apologize. Uh, let's pass it over to Terry. Wow. So you come on my show, on my That's panel, right. and you're I supposed to be it. ready with answers and you're failing yeah, yeah. me. Okay. You're just I like Chris absolutely, over here. I absolutely blew it. I could just read Terry's answer and then look really smart. That's yeah, you could do that. Terry, what you got, man? And you're muted. Man, this whole show is falling apart now. <laughs> All because of Brian. All right, go ahead. Right. I'll read the verse first. All right. It says, therefore, take heed how you hear that's that's the key point there you've got to be careful how you listen for whoever has to him more will be given that is if you've got the presence of mind and the interest of heart those things that are laying the groundwork for how you're listening then it's going to give you more you're going to get more out of it you two people listen to the same sermon but one person gets nothing out of it and the other person gets a lot. Well, what's the difference? Well, it's taking heed how you hear. Are you paying attention? And are you listening with great uh, desire to learn and with uh, determination to learn? If you don't have those things, then you're not going to get anything. And that's his point here. So, to him who has, you've got the right presence of mind. You've got the right interest. You've got the right desire. You've got all those things in place. Uh, then you are going to get something. You're going to get something out. To him, more will be given. And whoever does not have, you don't have any interest. You sit there like a knot on the log. <laughs> and you get nothing out of it. You come into a service and you do not come with the proper mindset with the proper things in your heart that makes that helps you to grasp and grab the things that are being talked about and respect them it's like paul told the told the brethren at thessalonica he said i appreciate you i'm, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here this but he said i appreciate you because you didn't listen like it was the word of man you listen like it is in fact the word of god so two people listen and one's listening and he's just hearing a man talk and it's making, it's not registering at all. The other one is listening because he is reverent and he respects the word of God. And when he hears the word of God, he's soaking it in, he's grasping it. Then that's the difference. And so what Jesus is saying here uh, is that you'll, you'll get what you put into it. And if you don't put anything into it, even what you thought you had, you're going to start losing ground after that. And so even what he has will be taken from him. That is, you start going, you're going to lose spiritual ground depending upon your interest in spiritual things, what you bring to the table. Those are my thoughts. All right. Appreciate that. Brian, are you ready to get now or do you just want to let, let it lie with Terry's answer? I think what Terry said was just fine. I, I always like the idea of these these statements that say, you know, your your measurement is based on what you're given. 
Uh, I know I was thinking earlier about the parable of the talents where each man was given something different. Um, or even Jesus's parable about the, the slave that knew the master's will and didn't do it versus the slave who didn't uh, who knew it and didn't do it um, being received different lashes that uh, the expectation is the more you're blessed with, the more you're responsible for. All right. Appreciate uh, those comments there. All right. That's all the time we've got for today. It is 1250. And if we did not get to your question, then Lord willing, we will next week, Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time be here. Or as they say, be square. Where did that come from? Be here, be square. What What does that mean? Let's, let's technically be there or be square. Yeah, oh, be because there. it rhymes. Yeah. Okay, be there That's or be awesome. square. Okay, well, awkward, I don't know. I don't say that a lot. But anyway. All right. Uh, any last minute comments, guys? Chris, appreciate you being on the show and producing for Colton today and answering one question, I think. <laughs> Nick, Terry, Brian, thank you as well. And uh, for those who are tuning in, we thank you for doing so and for sharing these videos and commenting and asking your questions. It does help us to uh, carry on the show. I mean, this is a live Bible Q&A, and so we appreciate everything that you do to support us. We do go live every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time for our live Bible Q&A. And if you have any Bible questions, you can email us questions at answeringreligiouserror.com or private message us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash answeringreligiouserror. You can also find us on Twitter and YouTube and podcast on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe to us by looking for The Daily Answer. And that is a, a particular show that goes live every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. Eastern time. Mark was not able to be on the show today because of Internet issues. As you know, he travels around. And so that's where he was. And uh, But he goes live every Monday through Friday, 5 a.m., Eastern Time for The Daily Answer. Be sure to subscribe to that. We also go live on Tuesdays, again, on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, and Twitter with a series called Why I Believe. Yesterday, we looked at the subject of why I believe that baptism is necessary for salvation. So if you are watching and you do not believe that baptism is necessary for salvation, we would encourage you to tune into that and, and watch that as we give our answer of why we believe the scriptures to teach that baptism is, in fact, essential. Perhaps you do believe that baptism is essential. Perhaps you've been baptized for the forgiveness of sins, but uh, you need to uh, continue to study that subject so you can help your friends. That's another great show. You can tune in and watch. We have it archived on Twitter, podcast, Facebook, and YouTube. Don't forget about the ladies over there at Older Women Likewise, that goes live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find them on Facebook, YouTube, and podcast. And then last but not least, Bob's Bible Basics. That is every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find him on Facebook and YouTube. Appreciate all the work that he does in giving us foundations found within Scripture. That's all the time we have for today. We will catch you out uh, next Wednesday, 12 p.m. Eastern time for our live Bible Q&A. God bless.